podcast ain't played nobody your college football marriage of numbers and words i am bill Connolly and godfrey we're here with charles mcdonald he's our guest today uh i know we, i'm outnumbered so i'm just going to forfeit at the very very start of the whole thing <laughs> the two of you I'm, I'm i'm starting the timer now the two of you have 90 seconds to chirp away as much as you possibly want about the damn falcons so that we can then have a real interview after that are you ready yeah that's not long enough Welcome to PAPN, Philadelphia, Atlanta, play next. So this is an Atlanta Falcons podcast today for about, what, 70 more seconds. Rise up. Season's here. Time to go get that revenge because, you know, the Eagles beat them in the playoffs uh, in heartbreaking fashion as usual at the end of the game. But we're back for another season of heartbreak. What are you most worried about right now? I am. I think I'm secretly worried about the offensive line the most. That's what makes me the most unhappy. Just for the game or for the season? A little bit of both, actually. I'm more concerned about what happens if one of Vic or Tack goes down, just because there's like nothing behind them right now. Yes, like, that's true. The, us, us having a, a expensive and disappearing pass rush would be very, very on brand. Yep, just like the good old days. Offensive line doesn't really concern me, though, because like, even if someone gets hurt, you still got Ben Garland and Schweitzer behind them, and they've both played a lot of snaps in regular season. So that's not as concerning to me. It's just... Like, you know, Quinn wants to be a guy that rotates guys on the defensive line, and they have the depth at tackle. They just don't have it at end right now. But besides that, this seems fire. Sarkeesian, by the way, is the right answer. Still uh, still the right answer. Sarkeesian is the thing that will prevent us from winning the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, probably. But I'm over that now. Ever since, like, I, I was talking so much trash up until that Super Bowl, and then the past two postseasons have just kind of beat it out of me so i'm just here for the ride i'm here for the fun but i know if they get to the playoffs again i'm gonna get excited oh come on that's a, that's that's old school right there what else i hate we you have here? god i hate you so much <laughs> oh, there's a doorbell i hate you so much we got a harp podcast ain't played nobody uh for real now we are That's here. the robot Bill Connolly. He really, really thinks he's funny about this. Uh, you can reach him at uh, SBN underscore Bill C. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey Bill. Why are we talking about the NFL? This is a college football <laughs> podcast. What we're, mutiny is this? We're really trying to antagonize our fan base, but um, they're going to have to get used to it. Because, I mean, not, okay, well, no, not that we're going to turn this into a pro podcast or anything, but. Um, you really did just scare some people. I know. Let me, let me specify. I am also going to be talking about uh, the NFL this year. Maybe not a lot on here, but on Twitter and everything. Uh, I had a big thing go up last week as part of the NFL preview, a little data thing based on some Bill Walsh things and my own things but um when when i mentioned that like okay so yes i'm going to be contributing to the nfl side as well blah 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 the 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 response from basically my entire twitter following was and like it just like just this this anxious grumble from from twitter and and i promise you it'll be okay i promise you i won't be talking about college any less and i promise you that really everything that we found in this off season or i found in this off season is that these two damn sports are way more similar than i think i even realized or anybody else realized uh it, it, football is football i'm going to be trying to do some high school stuff as well uh, down the line uh oh but football is football yeah, good luck with that Jeez. yeah wow. oh man you have no idea i've been working on something that well anyway Bill, something something very magical and by magical i mean incredibly stupid happens every spring and that is when the very lazy very old very traditional nfl media sort of crooks 
its neck <laughs> in the direction of the sport that we cover 12 months a year and suddenly starts discovering things in a very um in a very weird and often biased manner. So in order to bridge that gap, because it's sure as hell not going to happen in any mainstream media outlets, we're just going to have to start marrying these two sports. And honestly, I think I think football trails basketball in a lot of ways, um, even though the numbers are very different when it comes to the drafts and available talent and you know e- even just names and people you should pay attention to in the NBA and college. I think the NFL and college football have almost never been further apart, it seems at least in the knowledge base and the interest. Um, We do get a lot of college football fans, especially PAPN listeners who want nothing to do with the NFL. We're not going to try and put the NFL product on you. What we are going to do is discuss the natural bridge between the two. Even, even when I look, I know it's week two. We're going to talk about week two. Okay. I promise we're going to do everything that we normally do on PAPN. But as you listen to this, it is also the start of the NFL season. So accordingly, we brought in Charles McDonald, who I found out in pre-production for this show has actually been on before because I don't listen to PAPN when I'm not on it. I don't listen to PAPN, period. But there's one major difference, Bill, between the last time Charles McDonald joined the show and now. What's that difference? He is now SB Nation's Charles McDonald. Woo! Yeah! Full-time, baby. Gotta get that, That's right. Uh, Got to get that more cowbell use in at least. I thought you were going to break out the cowbell for the Falcons chat, so I was I, I, I was wrong. I'll get a tattoo of a cowbell if the Falcons win the Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was planning on getting a tattoo if they had won the the previous one, but they yeah. didn't. So we did. No, uh, we can move yeah, on. Jason Kirk and myself, we both had tattoo plans, but uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Josh well, hadn't heard anything <laughs> about the Falcons losing to the Patriots ever. On, in, in swear our to God, Bill. Not uh, today, Charles. Welcome. Um, there's a lot to discuss in terms of like just the NFL season happening, but um, I want to kind of throw a curveball out of the gate because it's not something that's going to really affect week one in the NFL at all. But um, so we in college football in the collective, we had this Heisman winner a couple years ago who was quarterback at Louisville. And there was pretty much a consensus that he was a badass player um, considering he won the, you know, very biased and inherently flawed award that we give to the best player, but he won it nonetheless. Um, he is now a third-string quarterback in the NFL. Um, of course, we're talking about Lamar Jackson, but I actually consider the fact that he's on the roster to be a minor miracle, or I should say on the roster as a quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, I never really bought the receiver talk just because, I mean, like when you really ask people who have some sway in like decision-making – I don't think anyone seriously thought about him as a receiver. It's more like, oh, you know, he, he might be a little bit raw as a passer happening to get the ball in his hands now. But I'm excited for Lamar. I think Baltimore culturally and just stable organization-wise, like it's a perfect fit for him. You know, John Harbaugh – wait, did I get that right? The right Harbaugh brother? Yes. Yeah, John John Harbaugh, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, I think this year is probably going to help him sitting behind Flacco. But I never really bought the receiver talk too much. I, I, I just kind of there's there's a you know it's cynical and messed up to say, but part of me hopes just that Flacco just completely tanks this year and bombs, and they put Lamar in and he loses his job and Lamar just takes over and flourishes. But I don't want to ill like you know wish ill on another fellow human being. So uh, I, I'm just excited to see what happens with Lamar in 2019, and I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna goof up some ways because Marty Morningwig is the OC there. And, you know, he's had a, a little bit of a checker pass in the NFL as far as he could assess. And so I'm sure Lamar's going to see the field in some manner. But the receiver talk, I never really bought that. 
Yeah, like the only area of the field where it really does help to be able to run the ball is near the goal line. Um, Baltimore was bad <laughs> near the goal line last year, and now you've got the best running quarterback in college football for the last couple of years. Would it not make sense to implement some sort of red zone package for the potentially now the best running quarterback in the NFL, uh, even if you're not sure about how he can handle the rest of the field, it would seem like you could get him involved there and kind of sort of improve your team with your first round pick pretty quickly, I guess. Yeah, I think so. The Ravens have played five preseason games because uh, they played in the Hall of Fame game, that week zero game. And Lamar has scored a touchdown in all five games. <laughs> and, I, and I think four of them came within the 10 yard line. So he had one that was a pass versus the Bears. Two, he had a run versus the Rams, which is ridiculous, where he scrambled out the pocket. Mm-hmm. And then he broke that guy down to the Kaepernick kneeling position before he scored a touchdown. Uh, and then he had another one versus uh, the Redskins that was like a little end around uh, bootleg. That was nice. So, you know, just when you look at his running ability, you have to get him involved in the red zone. Because even when you go back to Louisville, he'll wind up in a spot where, you know, three or four defenders are coming after him and the goal line is right there. And somehow he ends up like untouched and unscathed. Like that Florida State game where he came out uh, a few years ago, the year he won the Heisman. He had a few runs like that that were crazy. He had a couple of runs like that versus uh, Boston College, I want to say. The dude's just like an unbelievable athlete near the goal line. So you have to kind of figure out a way to get the ball in his hands that way. Even maybe if you look at how the Panthers use Cam Newton near the goal line, probably not as much power stuff because Cam's way bigger than Lamar. Way bigger. Yeah, way bigger than Lamar. But still, still, you know, just getting him outside the pocket, letting him throw and run a little bit, using the bootlegs. He's just too fast to not have out there on the field. Just got one of those guys has a nose for the end zone. Right. And so. Uh, you know, along those lines, we're basically saying uh, an, an, NFL, an experienced NFL offensive coordinator should get creative in how he uses his personnel. Now, one of the big perceived differences between the NFL and college is that um, is that is that experienced NFL offensive coordinators don't really want to do such a thing. They they want to they, you know they have their vision of what an NFL quarterback is supposed to do. Now, I think part of that is always going to be a generalization, but uh the shift it seems over the last year with with quote-unquote college style kind of things coming into vogue or supposedly how much of all of this is perception and how much of all this is true reality, both in terms of completely inflexible everybody runs the same offense stuff from from before and then the quote-unquote influ- influx of college stuff over the last year uh man I, I you know i can actually plug the little season preview piece i did uh where i talked about i interviewed a bunch of guys in the nfl about big plays and one of the guys that I talked to was uh the old jets offensive coordinator last year john morton and i thought he was interesting just because when you looked at his the way he he coached the jets offense a lot of it was like stuff you see from mike leach like a lot of air raids four verts mm-hmm. wheel routes uh, pretty much everything you would see from Mike Leach, where he's at Texas Tech or Washington State. Uh, but when I asked him about it, I asked him you know, straight up, and I showed him one of the articles I wrote for Football Outsiders last year. Uh, I was like, you guys have a lot of area concepts. Are you watching in college football to get these? He said, no. I He said, no, he never watches college football, except for uh, you know sometime after the season's over. And even then, he's not pulling plays like that at all from college football. Maybe just like a two-point conversion play or you know some of the swinging gate stuff that you don't really see in the NFL that you do in the, as you do in college. But I just thought it was interesting to see a guy like that clearly at some point was taught by somebody who was influenced by the college game. Like he said, Sean Payton 
was one of his biggest influences. And, you know, just the way that Sean Payton calls offense, it's, it's, there's a lot of similarities between what you see in college and with some of these teams in the NFL. So I don't really know how some of these players are matriculating down and some of these concepts are, but I don't know if, if NFL teams are as rigid with it or they just don't want to admit that they steal, right. from, steal from the lower levels. It, Charles, is it safe to say that it's definitely flowing in one direction? I mean, I, I really don't, you know, at least on the college end, see a ton of NFL influence in terms of play style and alignment and formations. Um, but we have seen, begrudging or not, we've seen a lot of suspiciously college-like things showing up in the pros. I also don't really understand the stigma of of the NFL guy saying, oh, no, we absolutely don't watch college football when you are clearly watching things from college football and applying them. There's, you know, it's not osmosis here. Um, I assume it's, it, it's only going in one direction, though. Well, yeah, because what's the college game going to steal from the NFL? I mean, what college, <laughs> how many college teams are, are employing quarterbacks that can't move at all, you know? UCLA. So like, okay, yeah, that's one. Will and State. <clears throat> I, 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 didn't, I didn't even know that he was there until they announced him as a starter on yeah. Saturday. Uh, but it, I, I don't think that, that college teams or high school teams have that much to gain from the NFL because that's just not the type of players that colleges are getting, you know, like you're not getting Tom Brady's or Peyton Manning's like, like that anymore. And I think part of the reason the NFL is adjusting their offense is because they're, they don't really have a choice to, but to kind of adjust to the talent that college is giving them. So uh, I think it's more the talent dictating what the NFL has to run and just kind of seeing, Oh, this guy's good at, you know, maybe RPO where you're, you're running outside zone or whatever in college, Maybe that's something we want to implement into the NFL. And one of the funny things I thought was, if you go back and read interviews from uh, the Eagles in the Super Bowl week, they just asked Nick Foles, after Carson Wentz got hurt, they asked Nick Foles, what are you good at? What are you good at running? And we're just going to run those plays. And it makes them seem like geniuses, but that's such a basic, simple concept that most NFL teams don't run because they're just rigid in their own ways. But, you know, I, I think Bill O'Brien's another good one where he's, he completely ran he ran two completely different offenses for Deshaun Watson and Tom Savage last year. You just kind of see the college influence in Deshaun Watson's game. So it's just kind of you have to adjust to the talent that you have. Mm-hmm. What a bizarre and unique concept that you don't you don't just jam square pegs into round holes for the sake of your vaunted playbook that you actually look at the skill set of the player and then build from there. It's it's amazing that they finally figured yeah. that out. Um, <laughs> has it gotten any better in just in terms of and I don't know if this is a media to media question or if it is just something that's acknowledged more in the league. But a couple of years ago, there was this really weird objection to the fact that there weren't day one you know, NFL ready quarterbacks being produced at the collegiate level. And a lot of NFL media jumped on it and condemned college football had talked about um, basically it really came down to the differences in the systems that were being run. Um, Some of this was veiled prejudice. Some of this has to do with um, biases against either minority quarterbacks or even just spread quarterbacks. You know, I think back to when Patrick Mahomes was taken by the chiefs, and a lot of people considered that to be a reach. Um, it seems like it's, if not getting a little better, then maybe the people in the in the actual decision makers in the league are just breaking down and saying, hey, this is the product that we're getting. These are phenomenal athletes and, and very talented football players. We are just going to have to adjust to them uh, rather than vice versa. It's, I mean, that I think that's just what you have to do. And, you know, some of the, the blowback that, 
guys got in the past where, you know, like you talk about, okay. So one, one of my favorite examples, do you, remember, you guys remember that sports illustrated cover that had the Cam Newton, Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert. And it was like, yeah. who's the next guy. And it's, well, if you watch them in college, Cam's clearly the best of the three. I mean, Blaine Gabbert took over Missouri after Chase Daniel lit up the Big 12 for a few years, and he comes in, he throws 16 touchdowns his last year at Missouri. Like, in the Big 12, he threw 16 touchdowns. So, yeah, it's not really surprising when you see these guys bust in the NFL. Uh, so, I, <laughs> it's just kind of funny to see NFL teams be so reluctant for a few years to to adapt, adapt to their ch- the the talent that they're getting from the college level uh, and the media backlash is, is part of it too. I mean, I just remember last year when the Eagles lit up the Broncos and I think they put 50 on them and they were just RPOing up and down the field, inside zone, outside zone, just really, you know, not too complex stuff, but you, you put stress on the defenders and, and you can get guys open. And Chris Harris, after the game, he came out and said, you know, they're running like a high school or college right. offense. And then you have, hordes of Eagles fans. Oh, that's a high school college offense? Well, we just scored 50 on you. And yeah. he's, not, he's not saying that as disrespect. He's just saying that's stuff that you see more on, on Saturdays and it's making its way into the NFL. So <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just things that have to happen for the NFL to keep growing as a, as a watchable product, really. Yeah, and since you mentioned Gabbard, I um I had I've had a lot of flashbacks to uh, 2011 in this off season. You'll you'll see pretty quickly where I'm going with this. Um, when so I, I was writing for Football Outsiders when Gabbard and, and Rock M Nation. I was a Missouri fan, obviously. I saw every game Blaine Gabbard played in college. Um, and I was asked, I, I think it was like Doug Farrar or something. He we contributed to a piece about the quarterbacks, and I basically said. Gabbert has happy feet. Gabbert has iffy pocket presence. That's his biggest issue. He's got the best arm I've ever seen in person. Uh, he's he, he appears to be a decent leader. He's got all of these quote-unquote intangibles. That's great. Um, but he doesn't have – his timer's not right. And the worst thing that could happen is if he gets drafted by a team that immediately throws him into uh, uh, into a starting role. He needs to sit for a little while and kind of learn, and maybe they can coach coach up the instincts, so to speak, if that's possible. Um, he then immediately got thrown it like the, he he got drafted by the Jaguars. They had Byron left. I think it was it was it Leftwich or Garrard. Uh, uh, yeah. Something um, like that. Anyway, Garrard, yeah, Garrard. Yeah, Garrard. So uh, they have him, and then they cut him right before the season. Gabbard starts the first game, and uh, like by midseason, his instincts are done. They're shot. He has been uh, – like they did the one thing they couldn't do. Now, first of all, like if I could see it, then, then, then pro scouts should have been able to see it too. Pro coaches should have been able to see it too. But – Needless to say, as uh, you know, Josh Allen goes out and completes like nine of thirteen passes for fifty yards in in a preseason game, and everybody's like, "Okay, he's starting week one." Um, I was seeing the exact same thing taking place, and I just wanted to take the time to compliment the Buffalo Bills here. Uh, you did draft him, and I still believe that is a massive mistake. But you did not do the worst thing in the world by immediately throwing him in when he's clearly not ready to be thrown into the fire yet. So congratulations on that. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, what what are your feelings on Josh Allen? My feelings? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's ready to play. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll ever be ready to play, really. But the, the preseason stuff is just, it's dumb. Because he'll... he'll <laughs> I remember that he had a throw versus the Panthers that was into 
like quadruple coverage for a touchdown, but he barely made it in there. So people are like, oh my God, what a great throw. What a great throw. I'm like, okay, if he's playing against starters, that's getting like picked off for a 99 yard pick six. <laughs> like that's that's coming back. Or when you you know you go you get the game against the Bengals and <laughs> I remember he threw this pass so hard that the receiver put his hands out and once he saw how fast the pass was coming, he put his hands back down because he didn't want to hurt his hand. And then Calvin, <laughs> Calvin Benjamin was about to put it up because Calvin Benjamin was right behind the guy. Calvin Benjamin couldn't reach it because it was going so fast. So you, you see – and then you see him take five sacks in the first half. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just not really ready to play. Uh, and, you know, I, I still do think he's going to play a lot this season. I think what Peterman – Peterman starting has a lot to do with – you have the Ravens, Chargers, and Vikings to start the season. Right. And, you know, that those are three of the best pass defenses, three of the best pass rushes in the NFL, and the Bills don't have any receivers or an offensive line. So you're kind of just putting Peterman to the Wolves and letting him be a sacrificial lamb for a few weeks until maybe he gets hurt or the play won't be satisfactory enough for you to win <laughs> games. And then you have an excuse to put Allen in after that and say whatever happens, happens. The future is yeah. now. So I, uh, it, it's I, just dumb, though. <laughs> Charles, uh, last question we're going to get you out of here on. Um, we often are constant. Well, I mean, because we're snobs, we're always basically condescending to NFL fans, selling to, you know, selling them on the college game. Flip it around for a second. Uh, opening weekend in the NFL, sell college football fans listening to this uh, on the NFL. You know, sell them on something that isn't just hey, manage your fantasy team. Uh, Deshaun Watson's back. He's playing against. Tom Brady and the Patriots, and last year Deshaun Deshaun Watson had his breakout game against the Patriots when he almost beat them. Uh, he threw like three touchdowns, and you know, unsurprising to college football fans, wow, Deshaun Watson was really good at football, like he was at Clemson for three years. Uh, so I, I think you know him coming back, and then you're going to get Mariota in new offense. Really, pretty much every quarterback that you've been interested as far as like spread <laughs> spread teams or you know guys that you think have a chance, but NFL teams kind of mess with them one way or another. Like Mariota's getting a new offense. Watson's coming back. Uh, we're going to get uh, Darnold. He's going to start. So if you like quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, guys that you've been keeping tabs on recently, I would I would tune in this Sunday. Awesome. Charles McDonald, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 4Verts. So we're going to have a lot of cool stuff uh, throughout the season for Espination NFL. Rise up. Go Falcons. Go Falcons. I was really nice about all that. We didn't even jump on you about your terrible your terrible fake number predictions about my sports team, which is what we usually sift out of the questions that we get and people yell at you about online, and I was very professional and didn't yell at you for how much you hate my team. Your team was 30th in standard down success rate in open play last year on defense. Our team was good on defense in the playoffs, and that's when it matters the most. <clears throat> Steve Sarkeesian was the problem. I shall <clears throat> hear nothing else of this. Yep. Hey, guess what? Thursday sucks again. Yeah, it's actually it's actually because of that team, the Atlanta Falcons and Philadelphia, <laughs> opening uh, the NFL season on Thursday night, which I think is an NBC game. But um, Thursday's just gonna suck this year. Um, all right, Bill, we're gonna run through the schedule. We're gonna do our uh, little, little bespoke tasting menu, um, and then we're gonna try and jam in some questions, and then um, get out of here. They're trying to keep us on a schedule now at PAPN. It's actually Celebrity Hot Tub's fault. Um, Please feel free to at him if you want the shows to be longer Um, or if, you know, you want us to like have more sponsors. And I I think like definitely at him for that. I mean, a paid endorsement for each of us, something where I can get money directly in my pocket. Um, I think 
that's really all the fault of Ryan Nanny. So if you want to direct your your anger there as to why we don't go uh, further more often. Um, let me get this out of the way real fast. Yep. What we're going to do, so it, those of you who are longtime listeners um, know that we occasionally do a charity drive. We haven't done one, I think, in a year. Right. It's like during the season kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, kind of something that just happened. Um, and I already posted this in the Reddit. Go over to r slash PAPN. Sometimes you'll get news before it happens. Um, we're going to just kind of do this for a bit. I mean, we, we did the the big charity drive for the school in Louisiana. We pretty much did it for months on end because we were trying to hit a $10,000 goal. Um, Bill, do you remember third down, money down at the University <laughs> of Florida a couple years ago? Yes. It's pretty awesome, right? Yes, I do remember that. Um, so basically when Jeff Collins was a defense coordinator at Florida, he had a similar system at Mississippi State, although not as pronounced. He's now the head coach at Temple, obviously. I've done uh, two or three pieces on him. You may remember him also as drawing the crazy, the crazy like prison illustrator looking uh, recruiting <laughs> cards for players at Florida and Mississippi State. Some would call um, him insane, yes. Yes, um, he's uh, very big in the word swag, and it just in general is – has the audacity to have like a ridiculous amount of fun in a sport that desperately needs it. Uh, anyway, so there are these two kids. They were both student managers of the university of Florida and on third downs to just to make sure that the defense knew it was third down and, and it wasn't really a play call or play signal. They would hold up these crazy like dollar signs that were all glittery and they would jump up and down like psychopaths. And, uh, and just in general kind of get wild and get crazy um, to sort of pump up the defense. Of course, they became their own kind of meme. Um, and one of those guys um, traveled with Collins when he took the job at uh, a temple. Um, he His nickname is El Diablo. His real name is Cain. Uh, I'm always I'm always gonna screw up this name because it's um, it's a hyphenate, but I want to make sure I get it right because it's pretty serious. Um, Kane Ivers Ostis. Um, anyways, I met him very briefly when I was up at Temple last year. His nickname is El Diablo because he's a redhead. Um, of course, everyone that um, anyone who works on the staff for Collins has to have a nickname, like basically like your X Men name or your you know Avengers name or whatever. So his nickname is El Diablo uh, because he, just because he has red hair. Uh, Kane, uh, was a student manager at Florida. I don't know what his title was at Temple. Uh, just basically Colin's right-hand man, really good guy, uh, kind of really took the third down money down thing and, and they owned it. Um, Collins told me at one point that the, at, at the university of Florida, the, those two guys would be graded the same way that every other defensive <laughs> player would get a grade on, on Monday Oh my and God, this is crazy. Um, they would literally get graded by Collins and he was serious about it. Like every single third down, they would check and see how wild and how, how much attention they were drawing. And I didn't really like, if you're not familiar with this, if you aren't a Florida fan or you didn't have your team play Florida, you can't really understand how, how insane and ape shit it was in a good way. But I was, uh, I did a Florida game the last year Collins was there when at, at LSU, those guys just go berserk. It's just a really cool college football thing. Uh, anyways, uh, burying the lead, unfortunately, Kane uh, found out he has leukemia, which is pretty devastating. It's pretty awful. Um, he has leukemia. He is back in Florida. Uh, he's going to start treatment. Um, some friends of the family, of his family, has set up a uh, GoFundMe basically to help defray and su- defray medical costs and support the family. Uh, it's pretty brutal. 
Um, there's not much more you can say about leukemia except um, it's a fight. So right now, we didn't start this. Um, you know, last time we were doing the school fundraiser, we were, we were controlling everything. I just kind of saw this happen midstream. I asked Bill. Bill was cool with it as always. Um, let's uh, let's see what we can do to pump this thing up. It's a um, it's a fifty thousand dollar goal. It's at around just under thirty five right now, um, and it's been going for as we record this on Wednesday afternoon. It's been going for about two or three days. I can't tell from the GoFundMe. I will put the link up and pin it to my Twitter at thirty eight Godfrey. Um, we'll find a way to embed the embed the GoFundMe link somewhere. I think Bill 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 can do that on the. You can do that on the post when this goes up at SP Nation. I know a lot of you don't get your podcast that way, but every time Podcast Name Play Nobody goes live, there is an accompanying post at SPNation.com. Right. Um, we, I kind of arbitrarily set these numbers the other night when I posted this in, in Reddit. But so we'll just just for a bit. I don't know. Bill and I hadn't really talked about it, but um, we will do what we did last time we were doing a fundraiser, which is basically this: you use hashtag uh, #AskPAPN or you guys normally go to Reddit. One of those two ways to ask us questions. If you uh, give money to this GoFundMe for uh, for Kane and his battle against leukemia, email me at uh, steven.godfrey at SB Nation. Screen grab your donation at the GoFundMe thing. Hashtag it PAPN um, when you do it because there's a message that you can put on there. It's just easier for me to keep track when I look too. Um, if you give $30 minimum, that guarantees you that we, we're going to get your question. I would say, Bill, right now, what we're, we're averaging maybe 15 20% of the questions that are asked between the two mediums get on air, sometimes even less. Yeah, that's at most, yeah. Yeah, and so I understand that you guys, a lot of you guys really work on your questions and, and have a passionate desire to hear, like, I want Team X. Like, I got yelled at on the Reddit by somebody, I think it was an A&M fan for not talking about A&M. Um, you give 30 bucks to this, I guarantee you that we're going to answer your question. I also set this as an arbitrary number. If you give $250, um, which I know is a lot of money, if you throw 250 at this um, at this GoFundMe deal, uh, we'll do a segment, which is usually 10 to 15 minutes. We'll do a segment if you can throw 250. Those are going to be limited, obviously, because the show is tight. We're in season. We have a ton of shit to talk about. Um, but if you guys are that generous, we will pay it back in kind. This is just a very simple thing. These, you know, Kane is one of he's a super nice guy, and he was just one of those individuals that you come to discover and appreciate in this sport in a way you cannot in any other sport, flat out. You know, this third down money down thing was just this goofy fun thing. And that's when this sport is good and not horrible, it is a quilt of weird fun things <laughs> that can't exist in any other in any in any other way former fashion so this guy's fighting uh hard right now leukemia is pretty brutal so uh throw some money at it i will like i said i'll link it on my twitter bill can um embed the uh the link in the show post um you can find it screen grab me uh send it to you we'll get your question read uh bill let's talk we're schedule. Gonna a, yeah we're gonna do an abrupt change we're gonna get in the schedule and if we have time we'll do we'll even rattle off and kind of finish off this week's ask papn this happens every freaking year. Yeah. I complain to you about this every year where we get so focused on week one, it's drawn out. Like I was I was kind of grumpy old man pissed about the Sunday-Monday games. Not that they were made – like I love that the, those games are on the schedule, but I'm just like when it's not a normal weekend, like your numbers are still cooking, right? As we record this, you're still catching up. I, yeah. just, I feel discombobulated, and the victim in all this is week two. 
Because we haven't really looked at week two. I, I am looking at the week two schedule for the very first time right now. Wow. Okay. I've, I checked it once before we went on the air, and I had a couple brief conversations with some, with some of our staffers in Atlanta last week just about kind of like, oh, God, what do we do next week? I have not looked at the whole thing in earnest, but but just the one time. Uh, so we weren't joking. Thursday night has two games. Um, what is Lincoln, Missouri? Uh, it is a historically black college in Jefferson City. It is, is it, it is quite Mac? bad. Uh, NAIA. Okay. It is quite bad at football. Okay. Lincoln, Missouri is at Missouri State, and then Kennesaw State is at Tennessee Tech. Uh, they're both uh, 6 p.m. games, and they're both in the ESPNU stream family. Um, again, it's NFL's opening night. ESPN and the other college networks tend to get the hell out of the way. Um, I don't but know why, if personally. Supporter, if you're a supporter of SB Nation, you know that Jason Kirk, our editor, is a Kennesaw State grad, uh, and so that's a and they're they're a fun team. So you do have that. If you don't really, if you're not buying into this NFL is okay thing, you've got Kennesaw State. I, look, I, I, I'm a diehard Atlanta Falcons fan. I talk about it all the time, running to the ground. Like I, my team happens to be playing on Thursday. They're usually not. It's usually the, you know the Patriots and some northeastern team of interest. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm kind of shocked they don't do that. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, I, I, if I, if I was college football, I would not just hand the NFL a night of ratings and revenue. I would, I would counter program. You know, it doesn't have to be an absolute banger, but it, you know, just give me something. Give me, a, well, like, just give I'm, me an ACC conference game. Well, like even like a G five game at least. I mean, it's Falcons Eagles, so I mean that's kind of East Coast. Give me like you know the SMU against somebody or Houston against somebody, just a different right. portion of the country. Well, I mean, and here's the truth. This is totally, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I actually have to be out for a a real world adult life event. So I'll be DVRing the Falcons, which is way better for my mental health anyway. But if I was at home on Thursday night and you had the Eagles versus literally anyone other than my team, I would have the game. I would have, and you gave me like, I'm missing how low can we go um, in the power five? Pretty low in the power five without getting into it. I want to draw this bit out. I would watch that college football game. Instead of the NFL, anytime the NFL and college go head to head, I'm I'm watching the I'm watching college. So I don't know. I just think it's weird that they don't do anything. It's funny you mentioned SMU though, Bill. Yeah. Friday night we do have a game, and uh, it's not bad. TCU at SMU. Obviously, it, it might TCU. be real bad if SMU is bad. They looked bad last week. Um, I know, but it's still a rivalry game. Sure. It's better than sure. Thursday. Yeah. Um, TCU is real, real good. SMU uh, is real, real transition. How's that? Yeah, I, I'm surprised. I mean, they really, in terms of offensive structure and, and, and tempo and all that, there wasn't – I realize these are human beings, so it's not just like, hey, plug and play. But um, it felt like, from a style standpoint, going from Chad Morris to Sonny Dykes would not be that bad. Uh, and the next time SMU looks good under poor Sonny Dykes, I mean, we're, I'm not going to judge him this early, but, they, I mean, the fact remains they look like total crap against LSU or Louisiana Tech in the bowl last year with him leading the way. And then they looked like total crap in, in letting North Texas go up like 35-7 or whatever it was last week. So they – anytime you guys want to start playing for your new coach, that'd be awesome. Um, here's why I don't think it's going to get really bad. Do you know where Sonny Dykes was last season? Uh, TCU. TCU staff. He was a, a high-level analyst. Uh, he's very friendly with Gary Patterson. Um, he has a lot of connections with that staff. They they know each other pretty well. Um, I know this is a, finger quotes, rivalry, um, but I don't expect this thing to get 
bloody or rivalry-ish at all. Um, I think, if anything, yeah, SMU is, um, you know, I when Dykes got hired, a lot of people said, oh, that's like plug and play. It's the exact same thing as Chad Morris. And I'm like, yeah, not really. There's, there's a lot that they do different. Um, I'm not the person most qualified to explain the, the absolute specifics in terms of routes and formations, but they aren't, you know, they have a lot of similar background, but I don't necessarily think they're exactly the same. And so, and also help me, help me remember SMU's roster, not insanely talented last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, offensively, it was great. Um, defensively, it was horrible. That, that's been my line all offseason. The next good defense Chad Morris has will be his first. Um, but they uh, – Not happening this year. No, no, obviously. But I, the, the offense was disappointing to me the other day. There was enough – there was reason to think that this offense – you know, you have Ben Hicks coming back a quarterback. Uh, you lose a couple receivers, including a couple thousand-yard receivers. So there is that. But you had a lot of juniors and seniors filling in that too deep. Uh, you have a thousand-yard rusher and Xavier Jones in the backfield. Uh, just kind of – I, you know, I, it wasn't a surprise to me that they lost to North Texas. North Texas is pretty good. Um, but the fact that their offense was so bad – bad uh ben hicks going 12 for 24 passing he did well 252 yards so lots of deep balls or lots of big gains but the run game was crap um it was just it was a disappointing performance for them and so they need to you know eventually you know get that turned around a little bit other reason i don't think it's going to be a bloodbath tcu's got ohio state coming up yeah show as little as possible get get up a a couple touchdowns and then pack it in yeah i mean just yeah just the bare minimum Bill, let's go to Saturday. Yep. You ready for your morning? Oh, uh, man. Now that I'm looking at it, no. No, I am not. But let's go. Okay. All right. We're going to go from 11 till uh, 2 o'clock. All right. So that includes one twelve o'clock kickoff and one 1 o'clock kickoff. Central time. Starting the day. It's God's time zone, Billiam. Arizona's at Houston on the rotation. So depending on your market, it's either ABC or ESPN2. Duke is at Northwestern on ESPNU. Eastern Michigan goes to Purdue on Big Ten Network. Georgia Tech goes to South Florida. Uh, again, that's also a rotation game, so check ESPN or ESPN2. It'll be the opposite of the Arizona-Houston game. That's called math. Liberty goes to Army at 11 on CBS Sports Network, Mississippi State. Sneaky good game, maybe. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, going to Kansas State. Literally on the last episode, I was trying to say that they would go 4-8. and eight. Now I'm trying to say it's a good game. Uh, that's on uh, pure classic ESPN flagship. Nevada's at Vanderbilt uh, on the SEC network. Gross. New Mexico's at Wisconsin on Big Ten network. Western Michigan goes to Michigan on FS1. We're now at 11.30. Georgia State is at NC State. Um, UCLA goes to Oklahoma at noon. Yikes. Uh, And then Portland State is going to Oregon at 1 p.m. Central. We'll stop it there, Billiam. Uh, this one's not going to be hard to pick, huh? Yeah, there, there are two. Basically, um, from from an impact standpoint, Mississippi State, Kansas State is very interesting. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, you know, Kansas State was one of our are they bad teams from Tuesday's show, but then also Mississippi State. Still, uh, you know, there, there's been I've had a sneaking suspicion, and not only because I like Joe Moorhead, that this could be a really, really good team, and they looked phenomenal. They looked so good against Stephen F. Austin that in the first S and P Plus rankings, even though Stephen F. Austin is like a tier four S, uh, FCS team, they looked so good that they passed Auburn, who had just beaten Washington. So. They looked phenomenal, and that was without Nick Fitzgerald. Uh, but Manhattan is one of the weirdest road trips you can make. Not not 
Well, yeah, Manhattan's a little weird itself, but I mean, playing a Bill Snyder team in Bill Snyder Family Stadium, uh, where they've got a bunch of chips, tricks up their sleeve. They uh, they showed absolutely nothing against South Dakota, almost to their detriment. Um, and they really uh, showed nothing. And so they they've been prepping for this game for a while. They're going to have some tricks, and it's going to be really interesting in that regard. Um, the other game that's I'm, the pick. I mean, that's the yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah, just sure. to jump on this. Um, um, I've I've done road. I've done a game at Kansas State where an SEC team that's more talented comes in, and damn, they get worried fast. Yeah, Kansas it, State yeah. is one of the most underrated venues in America when they want to be hostile, and I don't really mean like mean fan business in the stands. Just intense. I, 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 I just mean an unwelcoming environment in general in football terms. Um, I like Manhattan. I love their fan base. I think this is a game they're going to get up for. It sucks it's at 11. Um, yeah. But again, I think that actually plays in their favor too. Um, State looked awesome. Yep. Nick Fitzgerald hasn't played yet. ton of questions. Um, you know, I have them in the same like reserve pool as Florida and Texas A&M and all these other schools that just did scrubs in week one. So the other, I don't know. The other game worth mentioning though um, – Northwestern looked pretty good the other day, um, and Duke looked really good against Army. So um, those are two teams that could – I think they're both like top 40 level right now and S&P are pretty close to it. And um, th- it just could be a pretty good game. I know it's Duke-Northwestern, so we have – we have, we'll say we have certain stereotypes that we're envisioning for this game. Uh, and, and Northwestern games are never particularly, you know – Balls to the wall, exciting, uh, mm-hmm. but this should be a high quality football game, uh, and and so it's probably that that's your that's your commercial it's, break pick. Flip over there and check it out. I mean, it's it's high quality, but I I I would rather I would rather stump for either Georgia Tech at South Florida or Arizona at Houston. Arizona at Houston, both schools we had kind of laughed at last week because Houston struggled for a half against Rice, then they kind of turned on that new Bryles offense. Arizona just decided that Khalil Tate didn't need to move his legs. I don't know. I don't know if this is a thing. We're going to find Kevin out. Kevin Sumlin basically said uh, on like later on Tuesday or, or Wednesday morning or something, that like, yeah, it would probably benefit us if he ran more. So uh, hint, hint, hint. If that's the case, I mean, okay, what if, and I really don't think this is true because BYU is a solid enough team. I mean, they lost the game. Were they trying not to show something too early? I, or were they just that far off in estimating his ability? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's there's no question that there was a further emphasis on trying to get him to improve the, on the passing side of things. Um, yeah. But like, like I said, he got it, it, it felt like watching Brad Smith a little bit, where like his instincts weren't necessarily what he should have been doing or what, or, or his instincts just weren't there and he wasn't sure what to do sometimes. And so If the uh, second half Houston big, offense from last week yeah. at home gets the Arizona team that I saw – Against BYU, they could run them out. Yeah, uh, you know, it could and, be bad. Um, but we'll see. Like, I mean, but obviously, this is a very, very big game for Kevin Sumlin's first year after you lose that one. Oh, by the way, I mean, we shouldn't ignore USF Georgia Tech. That could be fun as hell. Blake Bar- Barnett. No, that's the, what the I was saying. Transfer. I, think, yeah. I think that's like my my two A and two B, yeah. but over Duke Northwestern, yeah, not so 24. much in football quality, but just. Here's my question right off the bat. South Florida's defense. You have, without a doubt, the ability to beat them on offense. I just don't know much about your defense. You don't really play it historically, so... And, I mean, they're playing... You know, how you play defense and how you play option defense are two completely different things, and so we'll see how I mean, usually you have to be a pretty good defense, and then even they will struggle against the option. This is week two. It's an inconvenient time because you've just gone through a summer of installs, and then... Oh, I can't even remember who South Florida played last week, but um, uh, Elon or somebody like that. Exactly. So, 
you've gone about camp doing one thing. You have to essentially scrap, not scrap it, but you definitely put it on the shelf for a week and learn a completely new defense, um, you know, against the most talented triple option team in college football. So, and um, also uh, Blake Barnett went nuts. I mean, against, you know, Elon, uh, but he, he had a great pass uh, stat line. This is the first real test that Nate Woody has had as Georgia tech defensive coordinator. Really like that hire. Don't know what talent he has to work with, but we'll get a pretty good idea. Yep. Uh, a lot of just interesting things. Yeah. Um, and, and also if South Florida wins this game. Yeah. I, I mean, that's huge for the G five, not a, as a whole, just in the G five race, this would be the best, should probably be the best win for a G5 or a P5. I mean, I know it's only two weeks old. Right. It's, a, it's a little early for that. But yeah. It would be a pace setter in, in in getting into an argument with, with South and Central <laughs> Florida and Boise, for sure. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, so the pick here, Mississippi State at Kansas yep. State. That's your tasting menu choice, and then um, – uh, you got plenty to da- say, you got plenty to dabble from after that. You've got you've got some quality Swiss chard or maybe a, nu- a nutritious kale type side with your Duke at Northwestern. I personally am going for the junk food, and that's Arizona at Houston. Sauteed uh, with does, some bacon, kale is just fine. Kale's wonderful. Oh, I, yeah, like all oh, dumb metaphor aside, I like kale. Bill, let's go to the afternoon. Uh, goal line starts at two. I don't know why they always put that on yeah, the schedule. I don't know. Um, on ESPN two, we're now at two thirty. Uh, Arkansas State goes to Alabama. <laughs> Do you like snuff films? Ball State is at Notre Dame on Ugh. NBC. Colorado is at Nebraska on ABC. Georgia is at South Carolina on CBS. That's not a good game. Don't trick yourself. Memphis is at Navy on CBS Sports Network. North Carolina goes to East Carolina Ugh. on ESPN U. And let's see here. Oh, God. Rutgers oh. is at Ohio State, Big Ten Network. This is just getting grosser. We're now at this 3 is... o'clock. You ready? Mm-hmm. ETSU is at Tennessee. <laughs> That's on the SEC Network. Lamar is at Texas Tech. Southern Illinois is at Ole Miss. That's uh, SEC Network. Uh, El Asico might actually save us, believe it or not. That's at 4 o'clock on Fox, Iowa State at Iowa. And then we'll stop there. Well, we'll do two more. Uh, four o'clock North Dakota at Washington. Five o'clock on ATTPI. I have absolutely no idea what that is. It's West Virginia hosting Youngstown State. We got a lot of week two chaff in here. Um, uh, it appears oh. ATTPI is Pittsburgh's AT and T Sportsnet. Oh, of course. Um, there, Bill. Yeah, the the depth is not. Um, I'm gonna have to volunteer to watch my kids on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So. The best I can do here, well, I mean, Iowa State, Iowa could be legitimately good. Um, Iowa State didn't get their tune-up last week. It got canceled because of weather. Uh, here's where I flash back to everything I said about increasingly bad weather problems during football seasons last year and the causes of that. Uh, two th- but the 230 stretch, uh, Colorado at Nebraska, it's at least interesting in that Colorado looked phenomenal against a potentially awful Colorado State. We'll see exactly like how awful they are, but they looked really good. Um, and Nebraska, this is now Scott Frost's debut, debut after he failed to beat Akron on Scott Frost Day last Saturday because it also got canceled. So That's a fact. Yeah, so, I mean, that's at least – there's intrigue there. We don't know if there's going to be any quality whatsoever, but there's at least um, – there's a reason to watch for a while anyway. Georgia-South Carolina, I mean, 
everything I've said over the last month about Will Muschamp teams struggling as favorites, they also play really well as underdogs. So um, they are now, this is the game they've been gearing up for for nine months. They're probably, they're almost certainly going to play their A-level game. George uh, is going to murder them. It's just, yeah, we don't, we, it, there's, if, if it's a Georgia's A game versus South Carolina's A game, Georgia wins by two or three touchdowns, but they're, they're going to have to work because South Carolina is going to show up. So that'll be a really nice test of Georgia in that regard. Man, this is a terrible, terrible afternoon slot. Um, the, PAPN, think, so the PAPN game of the of the afternoon is Memphis Navy, of course. But uh, yeah, I, but I honestly think like if you're trying to sell the best P five game here, I think it might actually be El Asico. Yeah, both of those, both Iowa and Iowa State could I mean, be. Those, good those are teams. good for like all jokes, all blog meme aside. Like they're those are the two best teams playing each other in this block of time. Yeah, and 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 last year they Jesus. played one of the best games of the year. Wow. Uh, we didn't even mention UCLA Oklahoma in the backslot. I just no, think yeah. that I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, UCLA. I watched the Cincinnati game again. That was the only replay game I got to see, and um, you know, it's not like it's. I don't think some curse has followed him home from the NFL, but I do think that Chip Kelly is not yet done tweaking, and the personnel is just not there yet at all. Right. Um, okay, Bill. Uh, are we going main dish El Asico? Yeah. Um, I I mean to me, I know I'm crazy. I just I think Georgia's going to be up 21 in the second quarter on South Carolina. So I'm going to go Memphis Navy is way more interesting to me. Memphis really good, really strong program. Navy uncharacteristic loss at Hawaii. Let's see how they bounce back. So, way yeah, more here, interesting to me. Here's your here's your here's your play. Um Okay. DVR Memphis Navy because it's on CBS Sports Network and if you're like me you can never really remember what channel that is but you find it on DVR you can watch it later um, flip back and forth between Colorado Nebraska Georgia South Carolina whichever one's better uh, yeah. and then basically once El Asico starts that's your commercial break pick whichever one is still an interesting game at that point Colorado Nebraska or Georgia South Carolina but no seriously like it's El Asico and, and all the jokes behind that but it was a phenomenal game last year and they could be very evenly matched this year so yeah, watch that for sure. It could be fun. Hey, let's go to the evening. Uh, it starts in a big way, 6 o'clock, ESPN. Clemson at Texas A&M. Uh, southeastern Louisiana, known in these parts as Sela, goes to LSU on ESPN2. Wyoming is at Missouri on ESPNU. In a monsoon, by the way. There's going to be a tropical depression moving through, so hooray. Uh, Florida State looks to pick up the pieces at 620 on ESPN Extra. That's also the ACC network thing. So that's definitely one where you're going to check your TV menu thing. Um, SEC network, but it's the alternate. You should be able to find it easy. Most of those SEC network things have the alternate right underneath on your menu. That is 630. Alabama State goes to Auburn. God, why did I care if you could find that? Yeah, seriously, um, you, that was a long... Sorry, I went backwards on that one. Um, Arkansas goes to Colorado State on CBS Sports Network. We're, we're at 6.30, by the way. Um, Fresno State goes to Minnesota at 6.30. Natural Kentucky, rivals. Yeah, of course. Um, although, good game. Yeah. Uh, FS1, by the way, for that. 6.30, SEC Network, Kentucky at Florida. Utah goes to Northern Illinois on ESPN News. Two Big Ten Network games, so they're going to alternate. Virginia at Indiana. Western Illinois at Illinois, 630. Uh, we move to 7 o'clock. We're going to go all the way through until the um, until the graveyard. Um, we move to 7 o'clock on ESPN Extra. 
Uh, Cincinnati uh, plays Miami of Ohio. They play for a bell, and I forgot the name of it. It is a rivalry game. Penn State's at Pitt at 7 o'clock. Don't go to Heinz Field Victory after dark, bell. you dumbasses. South Florida. Um, South Florida's at Oklahoma State on FSN. South Alabama. What did I say? South Florida? Yeah. Sorry. South Alabama. USA, the Jaguars. Uh, Southern Utah is at Oregon State at 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. LHN has Tulsa and Texas. Gross. Um, at, then we move to 7.30. USC is at Stanford. 8 o'clock. UTEP is at UNLV. And then we'll stop, we'll stop there. Yeah. Your evening shift real fast. We always do this because it's just easy. It's faster and easier to break down the evening shift. You have four games, three I have natural interest in. Okay. Hmm. Cal at BYU, ESPN 2, 915. UConn at Boise, 915, ESPNU. Michigan State at Arizona State, 945, ESPN. And then San Jose at Wazoo. That's the one I'm least interested in at 10 on Pac-12 Network. Um, just flip amongst those. I don't think we need to really – we don't really need to pick them. I would stump to see, again, curious about how good Boise State is. I think they should throttle UConn. Um, but this will be fun for comparative analysis, even though Bill and I preach against this. UConn got whooped by UCF last week. Now they're going to Boise this week. Let's see who whoops them better. Um, Michigan State, we did have a lot of question marks about. Arizona State, just really a living question mark. So it's fun that those two teams are playing each other. Bill, let's go to dinner time. It's good. We yeah. have we have things we have things yeah. that are competing yeah. for our viewing interest that are quality. Yeah, um, obviously Penn State Pitt jumps off right away. Yeah, I mean this is basically you know everything that I wrote yesterday in the numerical, everything we talked about, uh, or I should say on Tuesday um, about Penn State and Michigan State. Are they good? Are they bad? Whatever. We're gonna Penn State has to go to Pittsburgh and Michigan State has to go to Arizona State. We're gonna learn a lot about both of those teams immediately. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's very good. That's gonna be. Um, that, you know, we don't quite know enough about Pitt just yet, but that could be a very, that, that's an intense game that will be very interesting to watch, even if it's, uh, we'll see what the quality level is there. Um, from a plot lines intrigue kind of standpoint, you really can't beat an hour of Clemson, Texas A&M before Penn State Pitt starts. Uh, that one, you know, obviously, you know, it's the the Jimbo Fisher versus Clemson thing is is an interesting angle. Uh, and also, I mean, Texas A&M, clear, I mean, it was Northwestern State, but they certainly looked like they knew what they were doing. Uh, and they should be able to come up with some interesting things to challenge Clemson for a while, at least. I, I'm, I'm assuming Clemson wins. But, the Texas uh, A&M, for Texas A&M, this almost plays to the to the opposite of what I what I complain about, where people say, hey, you didn't talk about this team or what do we know about this team? I don't know. I don't know when you play, you know, Nacogdoches Community College. I don't know. But when you play Clemson, and it's this is essentially your your first real game, mm-hmm. starting an entirely new regime, new offensive and defensive systems, complete cultural overhaul. And I'm not saying for better or worse. I'm just saying a lot of things are changing at A&M. You, it, it's almost as uninformative as it is to play some crappy FCS team. Because Clemson is so good. Clemson is so efficient. They're lethal up front. I don't know. I mean, if they could get their ass whipped, which I think they will, and I I wouldn't hold anything against Texas A&M at this point. But... They have to be looking at this, at this as an opportunity, too, because they're playing – I mean, this is going to be Trevor Lawrence's first real competition. He obviously looked great last week against uh, whoever they were uh, 
who was Clemson playing Furman last week, uh, you know, through 15 pa- passes, three of them were touchdowns, but um, this is his first real power five defense that he's facing. And again, uh, FSU's had uh, nine months to start figuring out some things to try to test him. So yeah. it, it will be interesting in that regard. I do expect this to be an interesting game, even though I, and I honestly, I don't expect Clemson to throttle them at all, but there's no shame in that because I think Texas A&M is pretty good. So um, expect them to eventually pull away and win comfortably in that Clemson kind of way, but they will be tested. I guess my, my hang up with A&M right now is that I do think they're going to be good. And I do think Jimbo is going to be effective in the long, longer run. I just don't know what you're going to do in the short term when you're, it, it's not so much about, Oh, it's week two year one. It's about it's week two year one after that previous coaching staff, after that style, after that defense, after those problems um, I think it's a longer term fix. And so, yeah, I mean like, Again, I think Texas A&M could get its ass whipped and, and probably will, and I would just throw it out. Honestly, just throw it out. If you're an Aggie fan, just throw it out. It's it's unfortunate scheduling. You didn't know you were going to be in this situation. I think it's – look, and by the way, hey, let's stop and applaud everybody, Bill. Fun home game. and home. Yeah. Home and home. Quality home and home. Big-time brands playing each other in their home stadiums on campus. So um, take it as a learning experience, Ags. It's you know, and, and and if they're hanging around by fourteen at the half or whatever, I think that's awesome too. Because then, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't buy so much of that. It's Jimbo Fisher knows Clemson. I was like, yeah, well, he don't play against Clemson. Um, okay, I, I, and this is still a Clemson team that even when they're awesome, they still take their time pulling away. So I would expect it to be. Before four- I jump, by before we jump into other games, we'll go back to Penn State for a second. Pitt five and seven last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we saw strides down the stretch. Obviously, they were one of the teams that jumped on Miami. Penn State, after what we saw last week, we, of course, played the game with them on the last episode. This is not a high-quality matchup in the, in the strictest terms. I think this is just more, one, we remember what happened last time these two teams played each other at Heinz Field. It was an awesome game, and it ended in an awesome way. Um, This is a nasty rivalry, more yeah. so than one side wants to admit. And... It's, I mean, this is Pitt's home field, so we can't play with that. But I mean, this is like an NFL stadium after dark that's going to be filled with drunk, nasty fans. And they are, I fully believe, regardless of the five and seven last year and what they bring back, that Narduzzi is going to be able to give them fits. And this is a massive test for Ricky Ronnie, the new offensive coordinator, replacing Joe Moorhead. Everybody wanted that referendum in the first five seconds they played football last week. This is where you figure out if that offense is going to maintain the levels that Moorhead set. And so that's why I'm tuning in. It's not so much like it's like, oh, Titan versus Titan. Um, Penn State's more talented than Pittsburgh right now, but I fully expect Pittsburgh to fight them in a very close game for four quarters. Yeah, Kenny Pickett has played in three college games. He almost beat Virginia Tech. Uh, he did beat Miami, and then he went 16 for 22 against uh, whatever Albany or whatever last week. Like He's not had a bad game yet, so we, he might be really good until we see otherwise. Um, and that could be for a Penn State defense that is talented but young and just looked great and then suddenly took its eye off the ball last week. That's going to be this is a kind of a perfect test for Penn State overall. And one that might, the one that, you know, two years ago they had a brand new offensive coordinator and, and uh, some young players, and they were still trying to find themselves, and they lost to Pitt, and it didn't help 
mean a whole heck of a lot because they ended up looking well it meant a lot in that they missed the college football playoff i guess but it didn't stop them from becoming an awesome team a month later Um, i think the exact same thing could happen here honestly yeah so that's that's why it's up there um Okay, as far as the rest, um, interesting games. Interesting games in isolated circumstances. Arkansas at Colorado State. Colorado State's 0-2. Yeah. Um, this is just going to be another uh, another step up to to where we can kind of see what Arkansas is. Um, I would pretty much limit it to that. Had, Arkansas, had Colorado State come out and won their first two games, uh, I would be much, much more interested in yeah, this Yeah, I thought this would be a much bigger test, but it's, yeah. it's really – Colorado State might be terrible. We'll see. Uh, but if you're a hog going up there, enjoy it for Collins. Hell, yeah. Um, Kentucky, Florida. Here's why this is interesting to me. Kentucky. Um, Kentucky won, but <laughs> in the casual conversation circuit in SEC country, there's a pretty healthy debate as to who the second best team is in the conference. And this will go a long way to helping us understand it. Florida played Charleston Southern last week. Oh, division. Um, in the division. Sorry, what did I say division? Yeah, it's Eastern division. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, Florida, South Carolina, certainly not Tennessee. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is the whole Florida streak thing over Kentucky has been quieter this year than it has in years past. I think it's always a little quieter when they go to Gainesville. It seems a little bit more insurmountable, but I've seen Vanderbilt win down there. Um this is the game where you get to understand exactly what Dan Mullins there at Florida is going to start to look like. Um, it's not super appealing, but I think it's interesting for SEC wonks. And I think it's um, it's the first time you're really going to see Mullen at Florida with any kind of adversity. So that's at least worth tuning in for. I'm kind of annoyed that Wyoming-Missouri is going to be uh, apparently uh, almost inevitably going to be played in crap weather because I was really curious what Missouri's offense. Don't go. Well, no, not that. Well, yeah, that. But I'm specifically just talking about this was also going to be a really interesting test for Missouri. Um, Oh, yes. Um, And now it's just going to be a slog that you're going to try to survive. Did you watch the second half of the Wazoo-Wyoming game? Uh, No, actually, I I didn't get to that part, no. Uh, Did it may not be the world's greatest defense. That's all I'll say as a diehard Wyoming <laughs> fan. Uh, no, I think Wazoo was able to adjust and and beat those guys downfield eventually. And then and then honestly, Wyoming's offense, which is something we talked about last week, coming out of zero. Yeah, they it, shockingly enough, it turns out Wyoming's offense wasn't going to keep pace when Wazoo was able to throw over their heads. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it's say like it is a different offense, and I mean, it, you know, Washington State they completed almost seventy percent of their passes, but like at eight yards of completion, and that's not Drew Locke's thing. He's going to go downfield and try to get aggressive at times, or at least he would if the game weren't being played in a in a monsoon. So we'll see what that changes. Mm-hmm. Virginia, Indiana, that's like quietly a that, yeah. that would be a huge swing win for either program. Yeah, yeah very much so. They both looked fine um, last week. Fresno State at Minnesota. Huh. Fresno looked amazing last week against um, you know, whoever was Incarnate Word, I think. Uh, I mean, no, look, Idaho, I mean, Idaho, New it, Mexico played Incarnate Word. We should be embarrassed because I we have yet to run through when we talk about G five contenders for New Year's six. I have yet to mention Fresno State. Yeah, I need it's to my see, fault. I need to see more from them before I uh, anoint them. Uh, but they did it. One, I mean, they obviously looked good last year, so they. But you don't do it think again. they have enough to be in the conversation right now, like, well, of like a, just, a pool of six to eight? Uh, well, six to eight, sure. But usually the pool we talk about is like two or three. So I, I'm not including them. Boise, in that. Houston, directional Florida's. 
Yeah, yeah, Boy- Boise, a couple AAC schools, the end. But yeah. um, no, I mean they they're gonna have a chance to prove themselves. So I'm I'm kind of I don't mind taking my time coming around to them because I mean among other things, the next three weeks they have at Minnesota, at UCLA, and Toledo at home. We're gonna we're gonna learn a hell of a lot of about them by the end of September. All right, Bill. Um, anything on Tulsa, Texas? Well, I mean Tulsa kind of looked more like. Tulsa last week than they did last year. So, you know, they could, if Texas really is down on itself, if Texas really is kind of thinking any sort of, okay, now we can relax and play at home again or whatever. Um, then Tulsa might be able to score on them for a while, but no, probably not. I assume after last, after everything that happened last week, Texas is going to come in pissed off and play really well. Is there a point limit for panic? Like if, if Tulsa has scored X by the halftime, uh, yeah, the one thing I figure Tulsa can do is score. So uh, this is more of a the panic for me is more on the offensive side of the ball for Texas in this game. Uh, they okay. just they made a lot more mistakes than they should have last week. Um, USC at Stanford. I always feel like I got to sell these things <laughs> a little bit harder because they're Pac-12. But um, we don't know a lot about each one of these teams. Yep. I know a lot, I know a lot of friends of mine who gamble who are pissed off about USC not covering. <laughs> um. um this is a, obviously an enormous game for Stanford. Stanford w- turned into a pretty good team last year, but they started and finished the year with losses to USC, basically. Um, and the USC was just kind of able to establish a certain level of physicality that Stanford, for whatever reason, couldn't handle. Uh, and it was really weird. But they was definitely a-, a better Stanford team in the championship game. But the problem was, like, versus the first loss to USC, but the problem was that better Stanford team got its ass kicked by a an even better USC well, team. They lost by three, um, but they, but, but they the, did lose. The, they they got the pushed around. Game, yes. Yeah, they, but yeah, but they got manhandled. Well, like third. that whole, the Stanford ethos thing fell apart in terms of physicality. This was, a, there were flashes last year. Please don't bring up the bowl game where you, you thought you saw that USC of your, and I think the Pac-12 championship game result notwithstanding was one of them where they were able to do to Stanford physically what Stanford had been able to surprise them with historically. Yeah, they were basically um, Stanford goes for it on fourth and goal from the one and gets stuffed, and then USC drives ninety nine yards to. I mean, they they played fine otherwise, but that was obviously a like a fourteen point swing right there. That, right, that made the that's game, the kind of was, demoralizing stuff. Right, Stanford it was very demoralizing. To you. Right. Um, but I mean, Stanford played a very physical team again uh, last week in San Diego State. Took a couple shots and then just basically. You know, uh, what's his name? Arcega Whiteside, the the receiver, had like 200 something yards receiving. Uh, they basically, well, I mean, they they looked very good. We'll just say that they held. Um, they you, Bryce Love was completely shut down. Never had one of the big runs, and so KJ Costello was like, all right, and went 21 for 31 passing. So, if they had that kind of plan B, um, then they're in very very good shape this year, and and we'll see exactly what they can do now. Bill, let's put together a plate and let's do a couple quick questions and get out of here. Um, I still think Penn State Pitt is the main. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Number two would be. I still Clemson. Uh, Clemson A and M is a good one to watch. Um, There's enough of a. You get a one hour stagger, right? Yeah, right. you get a one hour right. stagger, which is beautiful. Hats off to the normally stupid networks for actually letting us breathe a little bit. And then, um, yeah, so let's do that. And then uh, I would say flip over, check out USC Stanford, 
and then just monitor it, you know it could be that fresno minnesota is interesting it could be virginia indiana or kentucky florida is interesting or technically utah northern illinois um i wouldn't dvr kentucky florida it's no, more just no, like uh no no yeah it's more like flip over if it, if it's tight in the third Mo- situation. monitor right monitor and maybe dvr the last two quarters you don't need to yeah, dvr the whole game yeah uh, th- look it's a quality primetime lineup and you'll have probably three to five narrative threads to follow right. for the majority of the evening. Right, there isn't um, a number one versus number three primetime game. You you have the opportunity to flip, even though the number one choice should still be Penn State-Pitt. By the way, what that I'm means most... we've chosen Penn State-Pitt and Iowa-Iowa State as two of the uh, must-watch I games. I know, it's uh, a weird, it's it's week two, it's weird. Yeah, but, uh, uh, but remember, too, uh, the weeks where there isn't a headliner and we think, oh, I'm not sure about this late, that's when the super-duper crazy stuff happens. So, Oh, look, I'm telling you right now, there's, there's going to be some absolutely brutal strange thing that happens like some massive upset something this is this is the moment you're absolutely right this is the moment when it happens it'll be sometime i'm gonna just go ahead and predict the evening something we did not expect at all is gonna happen i mean always does uh by the way in the lsu the lsu football.net schedule always does this and it throws (laughs) me off there are other games in the evening that I didn't mention because they're buried on like streaming and stuff. Right. So if my it's apologies just streaming, if I, but if usually I that means they're not game, really worth, worth paying attention to. Most well, of the there's time. one that's CBS sports network, but also Facebook. So they put it over in the different cut. It's Baylor at UTSA at six. Mm. Um, that's interesting to me only in that Baylor might win that game. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I don't have much. Let's see. As I sift through some of this crap. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, Howard at Kent State. Howard has another chance to score an FBS win. But uh, ULM at Southern Miss. Um, Kansas Maryland. at Central Michigan. If Kansas does not win, 0-12 is on the table again. Maryland at Bowling Green? Eh. Bowling Green's probably pretty bad, but, you know, Maryland has a hangover, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, more importantly, is Hawaii playing this week? Uh, they are playing... Uh... Is this? Yes, they're playing Rice uh, on the stadium app at 11 p.m. Central Time. Oh, 3-0, baby. 3-0 with with another 55 points are scored on the board, yeah. Good. Yes. I love it. That's that's the dream team this year. That's the PAPN officially endorsed team. I didn't even consult with Bill. I didn't even I didn't even need to consult with Bill. That's like the Bill. internet's dream team this year. God, you're right. We're going to go into a live PAPN in Honolulu. It's just that none, mm. no one in our finance department knows that yet. Um Bill, you, uh, let's do three questions. Uh, three questions three. Uh, and a fact check. First of all, uh, just to, for the for the Auburn fans who listened yesterday uh, on Tuesday. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I should have brought. Okay, I didn't do this on air. Yeah, it um, happens. All it, right, it does. This is and, like this. This is like the podcasting erectile dysfunction. Uh, we were talking about one thing. I was texting with someone and then read a stat line off as if it was fact. Jared Stidham did not have any interceptions, let alone three. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where that came from. The worst part was trying to figure out what was I looking at. Uh, but I kept flipping through different box scores as we went. Um, however, I completely maintain what I said, which was that Jared Stidham against LSU's secondary yes. um, is going to be equal to the issue of uh, Joe Burrow against the the Auburn front. So that the point remains. I don't know why I gave him a bunch of interceptions. And Hopefully I, he won't he won't throw any more this week against Alabama. State, and I was quickly though. like going through my head. I'm like, man, I don't remember any of those. But I mean, you said it so confidently. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so yes, there there is that. Everyone was really cool about it. We all had a laugh. There's like two or three fucking super pissed off uh, <clears throat> Auburn fans that texted me. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, I swore a little bit. That's right. It's late in the podcast. <laughs> Kids are already inside. All right, let's do this real fast. Do you have one that you want to jump with? Like, like right? Actually, I'll do this because I screwed it up. Um, a longtime listener, Emily Mon, who is an Auburn fan, and then she said, "Yeah, I know a billion people have pointed out your mistake." Da 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 da. That being said. We couldn't score, talking about Auburn against Washington. Is that a statement to Washington's defense, or should we be seriously concerned with our run blocking? Washington's um, defense is very good. Yeah, Washington's defense. Like, I wasn't joking today when I was tweeting about Washington still being a playoff team. They're the best team in the Pac-12. They're really good. They didn't lose by much. There was some weak one-ishness all over both teams, I think especially on offense, combined with good defenses. I would not be seriously concerned with the run blocking yet. No. How's that? Well, yeah, I know. We'll find look, out. My prediction is this, Emily, and this goes for all of Auburn. That's probably not the way you wanted to win that game. But don't forget, you just wanted to win that damn game. It was a trap game in a lot of perception, a lot of ways of perception for for the SEC because it was just it was quote unquote just Washington. It was just a Pac-12 team. It was a top ten team that you played on a neutral site. You won the game. You look great. You're in the driver's seat. Love your hair. Hope you win. All right, that's just directed to all of Auburn, <laughs> like we're all pageant con- contestants. Governor Romney, Auburn, Auburn you're gonna be okay. Yeah, Governor Romney on Reddit asked a series of questions. Uh, well, earlier on Wednesday, actually, and I'm gonna answer this one. Have you ever done or seen analysis on the strength of the home field advantage effect? Some people act like winning on the road is a superhuman feat, which is odd to me. Um, I mean, it's impressive because basically a home field uh, a home team basically what makes my predictions the best which is how i kind of set home field advantage um it appears right now that home field is generally worth about two and a half points um so you know flipping home and away that's worth five points that's not nothing that means it is you know an extra touchdown that you have to score and and so it is a, it is more impressive to win it on the road than on uh, neutral field or home or whatever um it isn't you know 50, 60 years ago when travel was a major issue uh, and it wasn't quite as easy to go from place to place and all that, then it was probably like, I, I think the, the home field advantages then were more like five or six points. Um, so that was obviously a much bigger deal. It's not as big a deal as it is now or as it was then, but it's still something. Hmm. Where do I want to go for the final? Um, I just, I've had a ton of questions about this and I know we hit it the last show, but I, I guess because everybody still wants to talk about it, but um let's do the Florida state one. Um, Billy Joyner asks, it might be too late at this point, but I would like to know if some of Willie Taggart's coaching decisions during the game are worthy of panic in spite of FSU's terrible luck. No, don't panic. Um, they did have some terrible luck. Um, week one game one, Bud Foster defense year one. Okay. And as Bud Elliott, you know, noted FSU fan, Bud Elliott pointed out, uh, noted FSU expert, Bud Elliott, um, I hadn't really put the pieces together on this, but I mean, DeAndre Francois, uh, was in his first game. Like this is a much more read based offense than, than Jimbo Fisher's was. You took um, the words out of my mouth. Yeah. And he was having to make a bunch of reads that he, a has never made before in a Florida State Ever. uniform. Uh, and also he missed all of last season and the spring, uh, with, with the injury he suffered against Alabama. So, 
it just it just it it, it wasn't probably the game Taggart wanted to call. It, it was certainly not the game that maybe Francois would have played had this been a few uh, weeks later in the season. And it was Bud Foster, and it was a dominant defensive line against Florida State's offensive line. And that, by the way, I think I said this on Tuesday, but it's amazing how your play calling stinks when your offensive line is getting blown up. There's a lot of those inside runs I think would have been a little bit different at least with some competent play on the outside with the tackles. Um, but also I think Francois, there, there are some bad reads. We talked about it on the last show. There's, there's a couple touchdown runs that were ready to go. They just made the wrong read. So no, don't panic. I, I don't give a referendum on anyone after a game. I, I know it was a tough game. I know they looked terrible, but it is week one. And the, game one. The, the turnovers luck thing is real. Like if they recover three of Virginia Tech's six or they like Virginia Tech fumbled four times and recovered all four. Uh, Florida State recovered twice. Virginia or man, I'm talking too fast. Florida State fumbled twice. Uh, Virginia Tech recovered both. They recovered all six fumbles in that game. If just randomness happens and they recover three of those six fumbles, maybe they still lose. Um, but it's not 24-3. It's like a, some sort of 20 to 14. Oh, we just didn't get going in time kind of situation. Um, and we look at that a little differently and all it would have taken was a little more luck. FSU didn't deserve to win, but that's not the same thing. No, no, they were not the better team. But I will say this, hyperbole tends to be born when you have more than one thing uh, go wrong and they start to overlap each other. That's when people start talking about, uh, is this the wrong coach or are we doomed or whatever. When you start isolating the circumstances, it starts to look a little bit more reasonable. And hell, I mean, my response is just fix the punt coverage and because when as soon as that play happened, it wasn't so much a oh my god, it's a beamer ball moment as it was like they just blocked poorly. Yeah, like they had two on one on and one on two, and it should have been the reverse. And uh, it was a gorgeous ricochet that the receiver could just kind of float right yeah, in, catch I mean, the ball, and walk into the end zone. So you flip that, and it's ten to three for the majority of the game. Or if it just um, gets blocked through the end zone, uh, and and they get two points instead of seven. Twelve to three, Bill. I think we did it all. Yeah. What, uh, just because I'll forget otherwise. Uh, sorry, Ryan Nanny. We're going long. Um, uh, let's see. Guapavelli on Reddit asks, uh, I have a very quick answer for this, so that's why I'm asking it. Godfrey has mentioned before that Jeff Long making a quote-unquote Michigan man power football type of hire would be a terrible fit considering Kansas's recruiting footprint, but would it, w- would it if – that hire would it be if that hire was someone like Craig Bull or Chris Kleeman? Craig Bull being Wyoming's coach and former North Dakota State head coach, mm. Chris Kleeman being the new or the current North Dakota State head coach. Um, he said Texas mm. recruiting would be new, but both guys have operated programs in that in that Plains region. Schematically, wouldn't KU's best option be trying to as different be as different as possible on offense in that conference with Dime being the new base defense of the conference, an offensive mm. full of formations, including uh, a fullback and two two three tight ends could be hard to prepare for you week to week um never mind the scheme stuff i'll say this like if being unique and different is certainly probably kind of if you find the right candidate is 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 the the first thing you want to go with there but just being sound like that's if you can just create a sound football team that does things well that's that is the most important thing and craig bowl would probably do that i i I think at this point we can say that Chris Clayman's a very good head coach. He's not just riding Craig Bull's coattails. Nope. Um, it's so, been enough time. Yeah, you sound physical. Um, it would be introducing a fullback to the Big 12 outside of Kansas State. That would be a pretty unique thing. Um, so, yeah, like it, that's bottom line is like make a good hire, then worry about style. 
Figure out who, Big, who good coaches are and then figure out how you want to break the tie. I will clarify that I didn't want Jeff Long to make a big, dumb, Big Ten power f- hire. But really, what I was saying was don't hire less miles. It's not going to fix anything. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> – yes, that, that, that in particular. Hiring, not go there. hiring someone like Craig Bowl would be a brilliant move, mainly to, to hell with talking about a fullback, Bill. That's – the man can do things on defense with a minimal amount of talent, at least in in a recruiting sense. Right. So that would be a fun place to start. Maybe a little logical, God forbid, at Kansas football. Um, and that's to to figuring out some Big Twelve stuff. Now we've heard it before. We talk about we talk about defensive coordinators coming into programs like Oklahoma State, and you know nobody really changes what happens in the Big Twelve. <laughs> right. But just, yeah, find a good coach. That's first step. And that's something, by the way, like of all the problems that Kansas has right now, obviously that's going to be one of the harder jobs in the Big 12 for all time. But they hired Turner Gill, Charlie Weiss, and David Beatty. Hire, I don't want to, this is a little extreme for how I usually like to phrase things, but make a good hire and then see what happens. Like uh, Turner Gill was uh, when it happened, we were objectively like, uh, I don't know, eight and six at Buffalo, one season, good. I don't know if that's right. really the right move. Uh, then Charlie Weiss, we all laughed very hard, and then David Beatty, his he had a little bit of coordinator experience. He was regarded as a recruiter who was able to sign four stars at Texas A and M. That didn't make any sense to me when it was done. I, I know you. I've talked to David Beatty, and 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 you may be in a better situation. He could succeed, but it never really seemed like that was possibly the right su- uh, situation for him to succeed. And so no, make a good hire. I, I just, yeah, make a good it's hire. A re- it's a really hard job. I think if David Beatty goes to some sort of G5 or something like that, we may be talking about him in a completely different way. But he didn't. He's at an extremely hard job, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Yeah. Bill, I know what to say. We're going to be back on Sunday. S&P Plus recap show starts Sunday night. And we'll probably go 70 minutes on that one, too, even though we're trying no, to we're not. Like no, we're not. 25 minutes. minutes of Madness comes back. That's where, in case you're unfamiliar, if you're a new listener, we do appreciate it. Uh, we unveil the S&P Plus Top 25 as it comes fresh out the oven Sunday evenings. So we'll go 25 to 1. We will do that every Sunday. And then probably about halfway through the season, we will get bored with certain pairings and groupings inside of that <laughs> right. 25, and we'll flip it around. Some weeks we get bored. We throw in the, t- we throw in the bottom 10 uh, just to have fun. But yes, the S&P Plus reveal show starts this Sunday, rolls all the way through playoff selections Sunday in December. So now, like, football is officially back. Yeah. I got a podcast on a Sunday. It like It's it's like back-back. And just uh, just for the record, just to let the record show, Ryan Nanny, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, it is not only my fault that we are at, like, 78 minutes or something oh, It's totally right Bill's fault. It's I'll not, see you Sunday. It's not only my fault. It's Bill's fault. See you Sunday. Bye. Bye, guys.